Dave Gilbert here. Today we'll be talking about addiction and free will. That's coming up next on Band of Christian Brothers. Band of Christian Brothers. Hello and welcome to Band of Christian Brothers program, where men are emboldened to grow in faith and virtue, ultimately for you to become the man God is calling you to be. I'm your host, David Gilbert, and with me, by his own free will, Gregory Watson. Hello again. It's nice to be here. All right. So, Greg, we're going to be talking about addiction and free will. Now, I don't know about you, but I seem to get the perception, at least, that addiction and people being addicted... Uh, seems to be everywhere and on the rise, whether that's uh, pornography, being addicted to smartphones, uh, drugs, alcohol, what have you. Um, what do you what's your kind of take on that? Is that What's, uh, what's your accurate? addiction? No, we won't get into that. Hello, Radio Land. My name is Gregory, and I'm addicted to being on the radio show with Dave. You're just addicted to being with me. Well, that too. Um. <laughs> it's a little creepy, but okay. Um, I do... I. Yeah, I don't know if it's a if it's one thing or another, or um, maybe a combination of things. Um, kind of like I think we're hearing more about people with depression or anxiety. Um, I don't know if depression and anxiety is on the rise, or if there's just more of an acknowledgement of the reality of depression or anxiety. And I think along with that, maybe some people who don't actually have depression or anxiety are being diagnosed with that or self-diagnosing because it's like trending. Or something like being gluten intolerant. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, are you gluten intolerant, or are you just doing the Atkins diet? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Or it's just um, cool and hip. But so yeah. So I, I think I don't know if it's uh, if it's a similar phenomenon with addiction, where um, a greater understanding in this like, the the psychological community of what addiction is has led to greater awareness of what addiction is. Um, I don't know if a lot of the the overstimulation in our culture, like through things like smartphones and and uh, the the twenty four hour news yeah. cycle and and everything like the overstimulation of our brain has caused yeah. some of the chemicals in our brain to to start misfiring so that more people are susceptible to addiction. Or third, I don't know if people just use it as sort of a a cliche. Oh, I'm addicted to X mm. when they just what they mean is I just really really like it or I have a bad habit. Yeah. So yeah, they don't have that discipline, and so they they <clears throat> can't say no. So before we get into it, though, Greg, I mean, um, for those of you who are struggling with addictions, by no means are we going to belittle or str- um, the struggle or situation that you're in. Right. Um, perhaps some of the viewpoints might be a little challenging, or Especially maybe Dave's. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but and and in terms of from where I'm coming from. You know, rather, I hope to propose and challenge an alternative, right? So, um, you know, we're probably going to be coming at it from different angles. Uh, but I think at the same time, we're both coming out of it out of fidelity, charity, but also, too, as a way to start the discussion, get people thinking, and uh, hopefully help us progress in our own spiritual lives and also our, you know, daily lives and hopefully give some hope, some encouragement for those struggling with with addictions. Right. So, um, many people I know, they seem to be, you know, trapped in these habitual sins, right? They know what they're doing is wrong, but they can't seem to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they seem to be addicted. 
And I'm going to come up from it from a different standpoint where I believe it's a dangerous notion that one is addicted to their sins in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I prefer to use the term habitual sin because I'm convinced that refusing to use the word addiction is the only honest and merciful thing to do when we're faced with fallen fellow humans who are struggling with harmful uh, habits or desires. Right. So that's kind of my little opening. Um, Maybe before you go into your side, Greg, um, I know there's, you know, a definition for addiction. That's what I was going to go there too was, you know, I'm, I tend to approach things from a very analytical, technical standpoint. Um, and especially when it comes to to complex issues like this, I think it's one of the reasons that I, you know, came to value the Catholic Church and and became interested in joining it because they lay things out so clearly and concisely and and you know very nuanced. Um, and I think I think we need to approach this this topic with that, um, which is why when I when I was saying at the opening of the show there that um, I think there's perhaps a, a combination of of things that lead to addiction being such a, a you know, trending kind of topic. Um, so by that note, um, I kind of, we were going to address the definition of addiction according to, uh, what is it, the American Psychological Association? The or? American Society of Addiction Medicine. Oh, that's where you got yours. Okay. I got mine. So okay. maybe I got we're mine running from, off uh, two different things. So you maybe, give me it yours might be similar. and I'll give I got, you mine. I went to the APA. Okay. Um, according to the APA, addiction is a chronic disorder with biological, psychological, social, and environmental factors influencing its development and maintenance. About half the risk for addiction is genetic. Genes affect the degree of reward that individuals experience when initially using a substance, example, drugs, or engaging in certain behaviors, example, gambling, as well as the way the body processes alcohol or other drugs. So basically what that's saying is, um, part of the factor for people having addiction is that their brains are wired a certain way that mm-hmm. um, creates an additional level of dependency upon either a chemical that you're introducing to your system, like a drug, or a behavior that is triggering the release of a chemical that your brain naturally produces, like dopamine or serotonin, which are, when you when you do something exciting, when you you achieve something or you're having pleasure in something, your brain releases these chemicals as either like a reward chemical or a a pleasure chemical that, that makes you feel good. And what the APA is saying is that there's a genetic level to addiction where maybe your brain either doesn't produce enough of that or only produces it in certain amounts based on certain behaviors or that the introduction of certain other foreign chemicals like drugs or the, um, the triggering of the release of those chemicals such as um, through gambling or pornography or whatever will affect the rates at which your brain produces these chemicals. Um, yep. And so when the APA talks about addiction, they're talking about um, how the brain is altered and becomes dependent on either the external chemicals or the the greater heightened stimulation from that addictive behavior. Yep. Um, See, and that's the thing. I don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Um, I just think it's convenient to release someone from the responsibility of such actions by telling them their bodily instincts or chemicals of the brain are to blame. And what consolation is that worth if that person especially takes it as permission to carry on as before? Because, you know, in, in our society and in the standard definitions of the word addiction, like you just 
uh, read, and I'm going to read one too. Uh, conscious choice plays little or no role in the actual state of addiction. So the definition I got from the American Society of Addiction Medicine is addiction is a primary chronic disease of brain reward, motivation, memory, and related circuitry. Dysfunctions in these circuits lead to characteristic biological, psychological, social, and spiritual manifestations. This is reflected in an individual pathologically pursuing reward and or relief by substance use and other behaviors. So based on this definition and the one that you gave me, which is pretty much the same, just in different words, you know, an individual is led to believe that a person cannot choose not to be addicted. The most that an addict can do is to choose not to use the substance or to engage in that behavior or substance that reinforces that whole self-destructive reward pleasure cycle. So even if the supposed addict... Uh, you know, ceases to be addicted, you know, as many do, you know, they kick alcoholism or smoking to that addictive substance or activity. He somehow remains um, addicted in some subjective way, which we cannot actually see in his behavior. So I just think that those who defend the concept of addiction um, are confronted with the evidence that many addicts cease to be addicted. Thus, you have to concede that the phenomenon wasn't entirely irresistible and could be mastered by the will. Um, I, I think I disagree with you in a sense. Um, having you know studied a bit of psychology, I mean, I'm not a super expert or anything, but I did take some when I was in school. Um, and as well as talking with people who, who work with addiction counseling and, and um, people who, who have struggled in the past with addictions, like smoking and stuff that have given it up. The, the genetic component that, um, that the APA was talking about in my definition um, it never goes away. Even if you kick the particular addictive behavior, like say you smoke, you get rid of smoking. You're still, you still have that addictive tendency in, in your, in your psyche, in your, in your, in that biology, whatever it might be. And typically uh, the person who's addicted to smoking has to, as part of quitting smoking, they almost have to addict themselves to something else. Um, and uh, ideally that the thing that they're addicting themselves to is a positive thing. Um, and Can you give an example? Cause that sounds a little confusing with what you're saying. So, uh, if you're to replace smoking, what would you replace that with? Well, I'm, I'm not sure. I've never been a smoker, See, but I know, I know like the, the popularity of, of things like the, you know, the electronic, the e-vaping and everything like that is part of them kicking their nicotine habit by suddenly having a healthier, way of quote-unquote there's still nicotine though in the vape there's still yeah a minute amount so it's less than what they would be getting before and so it helps wean them off it but a lot of apparently a lot of what smokers go through with the whole cigarette thing is the i guess what freud would have termed the oral fixation of actually holding something and putting it in your mouth and and sucking on it or whatever um and so the e-vaping, if you could, like, if if someone who's addicted to nicotine can get rid of, like, the nicotine out of their system and not even use the e-vaping thing, they'll still have that habit. You, you, if you want to look at it a different way, right, I mean, you'll always be tempted, right? We're always sure. tempted. You know, I want this, I want that, or, you know, I want to look at this, or I want to eat that. Um, and I would argue that those who, you know, if you're going to use the word addiction, that temptation is far greater than for right. someone else, right? I mean, if I don't smoke, my temptation to smoke a cigar, you know, is probably going to be less than a guy who actually is addicted to smoking or nicotine. Uh, that temptation is probably probably much bigger. But right. the fact still remains 
will over desire, right? Is their will stronger than desire? And, you know, if you want to go into the whole science thing, you know, the... No one's forcing them to make that decision. That that desire not, might be greater. Not the initial decision. No, but the whole the whole point of an addiction is that it is actually brain has rewired the way it thinks, so that the desire for X is now stronger than your will. It hasn't eliminated your will, and I think this is where where I kind of disagree with the way you you phrase it. Is that you think that someone saying that they're addicted or someone like a, a medical professional talking about addiction is eliminating the will. It's not eliminating the will. There's obviously that choice because people obviously can break through addiction. That's why we have like your your source was, um, what was it? The American uh, Addiction Medicine. The something, American something. Society of Addiction Medicine. Right. So the whole fact that there is an American Society for Addiction Medicine is proof that people out there believe that people can overcome addiction mm-hmm. you know that's why they're trying to you know either medicate or or you know whether medicate is in this context something that's like literally like give you some other chemical supplement or um you know medicate through practice or, or whatever to strengthen the will professionals people both you know psychological medical um spiritual understand that addiction can be broken and has to be broken. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. So so maybe to clarify, Greg, is, okay, yes, the initial response. So let's just say, you know, for a substance abuse, right? The first time you say yes to it, mm-hmm. you know, that... That's 100% on you. Okay, you that's what you think. I think it's the same regardless each time. So, but, yes, but, but, but let me finish though, because right. the... The choice is still yours. Now, every time you say yes and you give in to that particular substance or or let's put it in the spiritual context too, that sin, the harder it is to say no, right? Because that desire grows. But at the very end, you still have that choice. It's just that will has been weakened. Because every time you say yes to that particular substance or that particular sin, the harder it is to say no. But at the fact is, is that your will is still yours. It's the it's a matter of will over desire. And in terms of giving examples about that, there's um, shoot, I don't have that uh, that note in front of us. So so maybe when we get to the break, I'll I'll bring it up. But he's a former addict and he's a psychologist now. And he did, uh, he wrote a book and it was basically studying about how there was this heroin issue in Vancouver and they couldn't get the heroin for like two, three weeks. I don't know why the heroin supply like died, but it did. But the dealers were still dealing. It was just fake heroin. Like there was nothing in it. It was all placebo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and people were able to, you know, believe that they were still taking it. Uh, and not even with having withdrawal symptoms because, you know, a lot of people say, well, if you're addicted to, you know, hardcore, you know, uh, drugs and things like that, you kind of need that gradual withdrawal or else you die. Anyways, it was, uh, it was fairly interesting. The other one is, is that uh, Tony Robbins. I don't know if you know Tony Robbins, uh, you know, motivational speaker. I've, he's I've got a lot him, of yeah. stuff. Anyways, I, I went to his con- one of his conferences too, and he's pretty controversial because he, he believes that, 
you know, he's all about psychology and he just believes, look, it's, it's basically a, a carrot in the stick, right? Our, our, all of our actions are motivated either by pain or pleasure, right? So we either do something to gain pleasure or to avoid pain. And so his whole thing is, you know, this whole thing of going to, to counseling and psychology and things like that. He's like, it's, it's such a sham in the sense that, you know, they want you know, to just get money out of you and things like that. He says, look, the the reason why you're not changing is because you don't have the sufficient will and desire to change because you haven't hit rock bottom yet. And so it's all about, you know, basically hitting that rock bottom and changing um, that negative pattern into a positive, um, you know, future, a positive alternative, right? So for instance, you know, uh, he gave an example of a daughter where like the husband, where the dad, sorry, um, was smoking, right? And then all of a sudden his girl came home from school one day and just started bawling out of nowhere uh, at the dinner table. And he was like, honey, what's wrong? And she's like, daddy, I don't want you to die. He's like, I'm not going to die. Don't worry about that. She's like, yes, you are. He's like, no, I'm not. She's like, yes, you are. He's like, who told you this? He, she's like, well, we just learned in school how smoking kills you. And that experience made him quit cold turkey. And so it's a matter of will over the desire. Um, you know, it's just when you're more, you know, using the term addicted, and this is why I don't like using this term, is the more that you are trapped in those habitual behaviors, those habitual sins or using the term addiction, the harder it is because your will is 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 weakened. Mm-hmm. But no one's still taking over your will. No. That's, that's yours. And I don't think anyone's claiming that, but, but there is the truth that the will is weakened. You know, like, in, in general, and, I, and we talked about this um, on a previous show uh, when I made my Green Lantern reference, um, you know, will is, it's a finite resource, and not everybody has the same level of willpower. Yep. Um, you know, all, things, all other things being equal, whether or not you're, you know, quote-unquote addicted to something, you know, there are people who are just known to be, like, strong-willed people and others who are, who are much more passive. When you factor in things like habits... Um, I guess, in a way, habits are, you know, more on the behavioral level. And, I, and I, as I'm saying this, I'm, I'm realizing there's, there's probably very little in, in terms of distinction because all of, all of the things that we do affect how our brain, like, you know, we're, we're creating new neurons we're, and new pathways and, yeah. and affecting the, the, the production of chemicals. Well, that's what, chemicals. what pornography does, right? right it exactly. rewires the brain. And, it then rewires just, the brain. and then just recently, I was, uh, Teresa sent me this parenting uh, thing, but they're basically saying like tablets for children. Yeah, uh, it's it's similar to those who are on uh, you know heroin or whatever in yeah. terms of the pleasure thing. Yeah, right. But th- but that's the thing though. It's still. Um, anyways, yeah. I want to no. take away your point, but fair, I just wanted enough. to bear, build on that. That yes, it's not just chemical substances. You know, sure. they even say too, it's sugar, yeah. things like that. Yeah. So and and everything and I mean, it comes down to the fact that we are a composite of body and soul. Um, you know, some people want to talk about being a, a soul trapped in a, in a body or, or whatever else, but no, our bodies and our, and our souls, um, our bodies and our minds are so intricately linked. And I think that's part of why addiction... Also known as incarnate beings. Exactly. Um, but I think that's a, a, that a greater understanding of this is, is why, you know, psychology um, has talked more about addiction or stress or depression or, or whatever else and how... Um, what's going on mentally and and emotionally and and psychologically affects our physicality and vice versa. Well, let me let me ask you this then. You know, we're talking about the will and how substances affect you know our brains and everything else. I don't disagree with you on that. Mm-hmm. 
I'm still stuck on the whole will versus desire, right? right? And so one thing I'm wondering, though, is is the will something like a muscle that we have to work on, right? Uh, earlier in the I program, so. we were I talking so. about, you know, how, um, you know, uh, we, we live in such a comfortable society now where it's mm. all about me, self-gratification, instant gratification. And so our wills to, you know, delay gratification, our wills to exercise any kind of self-restraint or control is not being worked out. Mm-hmm. Like we're not, we're not practicing that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Okay. Uh, before I give you my thoughts on those, I wanted to go back and address when you were talking about people who are addicted and, and you know, the culpability of like that first act that got them addicted, that first, you know, if it's a sinful act, say, the first time you're looking at pornography or whatnot, even the first several times or, or many, many times, I don't know how long it, it would take before someone's brain becomes rewired to to the level where someone would liter- legitimately okay. refer to it as an addiction. Um, but those times you would be more culpable for that sin than at whatever point it is where, and I'm not saying you're not culpable for the sin later on, but even the Catholic, uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about um, how imputability for uh, sins is legitimately diminished by the level of, of um, will that you're exerting. Yeah, and you know? I, that's, but that's where I'm getting at too is, do we lack that will? It's right. one thing to commit that sin if someone has a gun to your head. Sure, but at the no same one time, has a gun at your head on it. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1735 says this imputability and responsibility for an action can be diminished or even nullified by ignorance. So if you don't know that what you're, like legitimately don't know what you're doing is wrong, you cannot yeah. be found, you know, God will not yep. impute. But another truth. caveat is that we're responsible for our own conscience. True. And so we have a True. duty to form our conscience. But right. anyways, continue. But, I, but until we've done that. Yeah, yeah I know. know. I just want to make that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, inadvertence. So like you you just, there is no way out of, of doing something. Uh, duress. So again, like the, the gun to your head, duress, fear. Habit. Mm-hmm. Or we might substitute for the purpose of our conversation, addiction. Um, inordinate attachments, again, so that would be another way of saying things like addiction. Or other psychological or social factors. Mm-hmm. So all of these things can diminish, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, can diminish our uh, the imputability for the sin that we're committing. Yep. So I just, but I that just, could be a whole other thing, breaking down each definition and going into what would actually fall sure, under it, right? Because sure. I just think that... But, but the point I'm trying to make, though, is mm-hmm. that we cannot... Someone outside of the other person, and I mean, this is, uh, this is precisely why Jesus says not to judge, yeah. is that we don't know their heart. We don't know the level of duress or um, inordinate attra- uh, attraction or um, habit or addiction that another person is is experiencing. You know, that would be something that God knows and can judge you on. That'd be something that you might know depending on how much you have uh, the ability to to be introspective about that and to soul search that and how much time you take to do that. And, you know, if you're doing that with a, a qualified spiritual director, they can help you determine that and help you get out of that. Um. So that said, I just I just wanted to say, like, when it comes to things like addiction, because it does diminish our capacity for will, it does to a degree, and that degree can really only be known by God, diminish 
how guilty you are of said sin. Yeah, my my issue is is just the danger of how this definition or word is being used, and also to the the laxity uh, or carelessness of this uh, not being as culpable. And going back to what you're saying before, it's not about you know this this discussion between you and I is not about how we can judge you know our feather fellow brother or sister in in the habitual sins that they are that they are in or their you know physical substances that they're struggling in. It's about souls. It's about you know how do we pick up our brother and say hey you know there is hope you do have a you can change. Right. You know, Christ came to free us from the bondage of sin. And I would argue addiction or, you know, having this habitual sin, that's the bondage. It because is, it is literally you the cannot bondage. you cannot get out. It's like a prison. Yeah. So I don't I don't disagree that it's it's like a bondage. But at the same time, we have full control over our wills. It's just is it is it greater than that desire? Right. And Jesus Christ came to free us from this bondage and God gave us the tremendous gift of free will. Right. So, okay. um, I think I think I Let's see. take a break, right? Yeah, sure. And then we'll be back right after this. All right, and we're back. So, uh before the break, I I did mention that I would uh find the titles and the authors of the two books uh that I would be actually lots of food for thought. So, the first one is uh, psychologist and former addict Mark Lewis, and his book is The Biology of Desire, Why Addiction is Not a Disease. And the second one is by John Hari, so uh, Joe, uh, J-O-H-A-N-N, and then his last name, Hari, H-A-R-I, and it's called Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs, uh, which was that example that I gave about uh, Vancouver and not having the heroin. Uh, so anyways, uh, Greg, before the break, uh, and we kind of went off a, a little bit, uh, I asked you the question about, you know, the, the will kind of being like a muscle, right? right? And, and, you know, my whole argument this whole time through has been, you know, the will over desire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that desire, if you're addicted or, or struggling in a habitual sin is far greater than, you know, others, but at the same time, the will is still theirs and it's just a matter of which one's bigger. So anyways... What's your thoughts in terms of, you know, the will as a muscle? Because, you know, we live in this this day where, you know, we're used to instant gratification, self-gratification, saying no, things like that. We we, we don't really delay any or or exercise any uh, delay in, in satisfaction and stuff like that. And so, you know, what are, what are your thoughts in terms of the will and, and exercising it? I, I absolutely agree. Uh, will is something, you know, it's it's... Like a psychological muscle, really. I mean, obviously, there's no physical gland or or tissue in our body that is really mine's bulging, man. The will, you know, the will muscle. Um, unless unless you call it the heart, you know, like as we have poetically for centuries. Um, I brave heart. Sure, uh, <laughs> but I, I absolutely agree that in our in our day and age, um, with this culture of instant gratification you know like i was saying about the 24-hour news cycle or or facebook feeds you know constantly refreshing always having new stimulus always you know having something new to fill our minds with to distract ourselves with um has led to us not needing to exercise our will um 
that's that's one of kind of what going back to the beginning of the show when I was saying about the the multiple uh, reasons why addiction might be so prevalent in our society. I was saying that very thing, um, and that you know we have greater awareness of it because psychology is realizing just how you know damaging it is to to have a culture in which will is not suitably exercised. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember which philosopher, Greek philosopher it was, whether it was Plato or, or Aristotle, who talked about, you know, the the philosopher kings. Um, okay. So his, his notion of, I think it was Plato in, in Republic, was that his ideal society would be like led by people who were the philosophers, who were intellectual, they knew, you know, truth, right from wrong and whatever. And then there were the, I guess, the military aspect of things, like the the, the police, the, the military, whatever, would be second under the control of the intellect would be them. They they represent, um, in Greek, what would be the thumos or, or what we would call the will uh, to be able to enforce what the intellect saw as right. And then the bottom would be the plebes, the people who who represent in, in a person would be the passions. And so his his understanding of, of a rightly ordered political society was uh, something that dovetailed with his understanding of what a rightly ordered person would be. Yeah. Uh, led and ruled by our intellects, as, and as you said earlier, about properly forming our intellect to know what is right and wrong. Um, so knowing the truth and understanding the truth and being ruled by our intellect, our understanding of the world, and then that intellect guiding our will so that our will, knowing what is right and wrong, can suppress the passions when they are rising and revolting against what the intellect knows is right. And that is what a a properly ordered and structured and integrated person would be and what we would have been before the fall. But because of the fall, we have concupiscence, which is the disordered passions rising up and competing against our intellect, our knowledge of what's right, overriding that, and co-opting our will to choose to do what the passions want. And so we're basically, after the fall, kind of inverted that paradigm. And so the rightly ordered person is tri- is striving to to seek the truth, to live the truth, through the will and suppressing the passions who are competing yeah. with us and, and driving us in, in different directions. And so we need to, to seek to, to get back there. And ultimately as Catholics, we would believe that we can only truly be successful doing so through God's grace. Exactly. Right. Because willpower is not enough, right? right. We, we need, we might have some initial success through our own will, we, but I mean, in the long term, it's just not sustainable, right? right? And we, we talked about that in in the show we did a few weeks ago about yeah. um, how not to fight temptation, and we we stress that ultimately it comes down to that reliance on God, yep. and that seeking of His grace, and uh, and the help of other people. We talked about that having accountability partners and yep. whatnot. You can't do it alone, but you can do it. Yep. Um, exactly right and we need to rely on that that uh that supernatural strength and also too just to clarify we're talking about sin and being tempted and you know addictions and things and i just want to clarify like being tempted is not bad right it's giving into that temptation Mm -hmm. right and god gives us all the sufficient grace to overcome our temptations and that's i guess where i'm coming from at least from mine and to just kind of reinforce that fact i just want to share a few scripture passages on that point that god gives us 
uh, sufficient grace to overcome that temptation. And that's where we should draw our strength is that supernatural strength that which would then also help us naturally. Cause you were just saying during the break too, you know, uh, grace, you know, uh, perfects nature, grace right? Grace perfects nature, right. Exactly. So in Ephesians six ten, it says, finally, brethren, be strengthened in the Lord in the might of his power. And in Psalm 28, 7, it says, the Lord is my strength and my shield in him. My heart trusts. And lastly, St. Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. And, you know, I guess where this is all coming from for, for me in terms of my standpoint is that the because I think we're kind of on the same page, Greg. I, I think we're just maybe using a little slightly different terms or coming at it a little differently. But, I think so. But the consequences, I believe, of using the concept of addiction, uh, especially in medical practice and law, are huge where actions that were once punished or scorned are sympathetically treated as if they arose from diseases rather than choices. And sadly, this is also played out in confessionals and in discussions on matter of faith and morals, where, you know, habitual sins are minimized and culpability is lessened over this perceived lack of free will and accountability. I mean, last time, I mean, before, like I said before, right? I mean, sure, the temptation is great, uh, and one can argue the temptation of someone who's addicted or, or in a habitual sin is far greater than others, but the choice still remains theirs, the will over the desire. And we live in a free society, right? Uh, and, you know, it, it's a Mostly. society of, of well, <laughs> not so much free anymore, especially under Trudeau. Thank you, liberals. Uh, um, but we live in a society of free market ideas and competition, right? So how can a faith, based upon self-restraint and patience, compete with one that pardons unconditionally and in advance all the self-indulgences you can think of and those you haven't even thought of yet. And that's what the addiction argument is most fundamentally about. And that is why it's especially distressing to hear Christians, you know, accepting and promoting it as if it was merciful to keep a man a slave and treat him if he had no free will to resist or the grace to overcome it. Well, Again, I I, I want to I agree with you, and I think I you know I had the epiphany right right before break there that you're approaching this from the from the sense that if if we use addiction as a a slang or a um, a catch all phrase that just says essentially, well because you have that addiction or whatever you're not really culpable for these sins so you know enjoy, and God will love you and forgive you anyway. I don't honestly think that that's what the church is teaching when no just, no i don't and, think it's what the church is teaching i think it's how it's being implemented and 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 that's that, the problem that might be true that might be true and i mean you know obviously we we know wonderful noble good priests and we know some that are less so and uh some that you know i mean i know i know when i'm feeling really really down about my own failures and want to go to confession and I know which priests I, I go to when, when I want the nice, fluffy, make-me-feel-better confessions and which priests I go to when I know I need a good, swift kick in the ass. Uh, so I, I understand what you're saying there. But at the same time, when we come to the objective truth of of what the church teaches, and it does say yeah. that... that I'm, our, not, I'm not arguing the teaching right, of the church. Right. Like I think we're going down a different road here. Because no. what the church teaches, I don't disagree with. What I disagree with is... The whole notion of addiction and culpability and how the lack of free will plays in that role Mm -hmm. 
and how the implementation of you know uh, lesson culpability is played out in the confessionals. Right, and and, and I understand that, but what, but uh, what I'm saying is is that that you know the hope that you're you're describing is that yes, we can overcome it. Jesus can help us get through, can give us the grace to be saved from our addictions, to strengthen our wills, to to replace the the addictive vices with virtuous behaviors that will form positive habits to yep. to lead us to holiness. That is the truth of the gospel that Jesus grace can do that. Yep. The other truth of the gospel is that when we are stuck in the pit of the addiction when we haven't yet been freed from it that we are not horrible completely damned cut off from God people if we're striving to overcome those addictions if we've given up if we've surrendered 100% to the addiction and we're not even going to confession to be forgiven for those then yes that's another story entirely well, wait, wait wait you have to can't just go to confession I mean if you're not giving in you also have to make a firm resolve right. now that resolve Assuming. might be pretty weak on your part right but you have you to might, make you every have... intention that you're going to do your darndest not to do it again right even though there might be a good possibility you will right and that's it and that's exactly it and when when a person is there and then you know two minutes after they get out of the confessional they have already stumbled back into that that can be woefully discouraging thinking okay now i'm right back to square one i've committed a mortal sin i'm going to hell unless i turn right back around and go back to confession or you know maybe maybe it's happened in a, in a way where they can't get back and then they're fretting for the rest of the time until they can get back to confession that they've they've completely lost it they're losing well hope. isn't there something though that you know if you have every intention to go and you couldn't and you made every effort like god understands right. kind of thing i don't know how valid it is but like i can't see our god you know, right. like, there, well, there, sorry, you didn't, there is the, the idea that having true contrition for our sins yep. will gain us God's forgiveness, even if we don't actually go to confession. The problem is we can never know if we've actually had true contrition. And so, but knowing that, you know, someone who... But actually, that's why we always ask, like when we right. go to confession, we should ask, you know, come Holy Spirit, fill me with a contrite heart, right. fill me but, with I mean, true in, contrition. In confession, help. we don't actually need true contrition. You you could go with what's known as attrition. You know when we talk we talked in a previous episode about um, hell. Yeah, the fear briefly. of hell rather the than hell. the love of God. Rather than the love of God. So true contrition is having like an absolute love of God that that causes you to be sorry for your sins. In confession, only having the loss of heaven and the pain of hell is good enough yep. to for God to forgive you. Outside of confession, it's not. Yep. You have to have confessed truly for a pure love of God. And we don't know, we can't know whether we've actually had that when we've, you know, said an act of contrition outside of confession. Mm-hmm. If we did, then we're golden, but we don't know. So yep. we have to go to confession just to be on the safe side kind of thing. Um, but, you know, in lieu of that, what, I, what I'm saying is, is the person doesn't, who is addicted because there is that diminished capacity to choose not saying there's no capacity to choose, but it is a diminished capacity. They don't have to fear that they're a horrible person. They don't have to consider, they don't have to lump them into a category of, I'm a horrible person. I'm actually a person who's struggling with an addiction. But do people really like beat themselves up? Like, I, yes. I, I'd like to, yes. I, I'd like, people do. People absolutely do. I know people, like, that's what scrupulosity is. 
you know, to, to, to bring up a whole other topic that we shouldn't get into now because we just yes. don't have time for that. But that is what people do. People, there are people out there with that loathing, that, that utter hopelessness. And so what I'm saying is... But why is, is there that hopelessness, though? Because if you have faith in God and God is merciful um, and he will forgive you, we're all sinners because we're all fallen by nature, right? And, and maybe this will... I want to share... I know we're wrapping up soon because this is a pretty long episode. We could probably do two episodes on this. We could. Um, but I, I'd like to share maybe with, with you my journey and things like that is... Uh, I'm not going to go into gruesome details, but, you know, I suffered from, you know, a particular sin that dealt with lust. And, you know, I kept going back to confession, kept going back to confession. And, and you know, I I don't know what your definition is, but I guess, you know, I'd beat up on myself in terms of, you know, man, why why do I keep going to confession for the same thing? Like, what's the point? Um, you know, and sometimes I, yeah, sometimes I would go to another priest or sometimes... I'd have to just suck it up and say, hey, Father, I know you just heard my confession yesterday, but can you hear my confession again today? Like, um, and, But it wasn't until, uh, you know, and, and when I was in the confessional, right, I, I had some priests who, who told me the exact same thing you said. Well, you know, thank you for confessing it, but, you know, uh, it's not mortal. You know, you're not as, you're not as culpable. And one time I even had a priest who who said, hey, it's not a sin at all. It's actually something you should be celebrated. And, you know, I know that guy was totally wrong. But <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that more t- I was never told in any of my confessions, especially with some of the priests that I would confess to regularly so they could start seeing a pattern. And I would, as a, an aside, as much as it sucks, you uh, for you, I think you need to suck it up and go to the same confessor each time because they start to see patterns. They get to know yeah. you, whether you suffer from scruples and you're being a little too hard right. or extreme, but also too, they get to see patterns and habits that and you know, they could point out. Right? That's that's something I think we'll wrap up the show with is is giving some some advice on on how to overcome. Yeah, we'll do addiction that after the show to find hope to get through that. So, but, but what I'm getting at is. Um, Never did someone challenge me, right? It was always, well, you're addicted, you're not as culpable, it's okay. And it left me actually with a sense of hopelessness because, and, you know, because I was being left where I was. I wasn't, yes, I was being forgiven, but no one was telling me that, hey, you need to pull up your bootstraps. You need to start doing this, that, or the other thing, whether it was practical or spiritual, to really overcome this habitual sin. And it wasn't until I met my wife that I actually started living my faith. I knew my faith, but until I met her, then I realized, hey, she deserves a better man than I. I got to start living it now. But, you know, it took a long time to break that habitual sin. Um, but again... It, for me, it was the will over desire, and at the same time, no one was challenging me. And I think that's why the word addiction is dangerous, is because it releases the person of responsibility. And in at least in this day and age, allows them to remain where they are rather than picking them up and carrying them on their journey. Just like Christ. I mean, Christ met the sinner where they were. But Christ never wanted them to stay there. No. And I just feel that this whole thing about addiction is allowing people, or at least 
giving license to some, whether it's implicit or explicit, to remain where they are. And so for me anyways, um, you know, it, to, to overcome that sin, regular, going to confession regularly, like the next day if possible, weekly if I couldn't, you know, find a priest during the week. But it was daily, daily confession, receiving the Eucharist as often, and the rosary. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I have a great devotion to Our Lady uh, and the rosary, but it's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, even after all these years doing daily rosary, it, it, I have to make a conscious effort to do it. But you know what? If there was no sacrifice, there'd be no reward. And there is power there. And so anyways, uh, Greg, I'm going to leave give it up to you uh, soon. But I just want to give a message of hope is those who are in an addiction or habitual sin, which is I prefer to use it, there is hope. You do have a choice and you do have free will. God gave you the gift of free will, and Christ came to free us from the bondage of slavery, and that's what an addiction is. It's a bondage to slavery, and you can break out of it. Uh, Greg, what would you like to share? Sure, um, and just to, to dovetail nicely with that, uh, to, to provide that hope. Um, I mean, I've, I've had a very different experience in the confessional than, than you have. Um, I've had, you know, con- confessions where I've said, oh, such and such it feels like I'm, I'm addicted to this. And my priest has said, no, I don't think you are. I don't, I don't think it's to the point of an addiction. I, you know, don't let yourself think that, um, which was the challenge. I've had others who, you know, um, have, have said, why are you doing this? You need to take the time is going on in, in your life or, or in your world. What are you using this particular sin to, to medicate? to self-soothe, to, to whatever it happens to be. Like, why are you doing this? Figure that out and root it out. And, you know, replace the self-medicating sinful habit with Corresponding virtue? Exactly. Right. The, the cor- yeah, the corresponding virtue with, with something positive, with something noble, mm-hmm. beautiful, good, true. And so those are the experiences of confession that I've had. While at the same time knowing that, you know, in terms of, of a legitimate addiction, if, you know, if that was something I struggled with, even when I was failing, which, you know, happens, I'm not necessarily back to ground zero square one, because I'm still striving to come out of this, this habitual sin. And that's a good point. Always get back up, no matter how many times you fall, get back up, because it's when you stop getting back up. That's when you lose. That's when you lose. That's when the devil gets a hold of you. That's when you lose hope, and that's when you put your soul in jeopardy. Always get back up. Exactly. And that's where I find the hopefulness in the church's teaching that even if it's a mortal sin objectively, if you have that diminished capacity, you're not necessarily committing a mortal sin. It doesn't mean, okay, go ahead and, and sin freely. It means you don't have to, to add extra amounts of, of guilt and self-loathing, which can lead to greater despair, which can lead to greater hopelessness and, and defeatism. So you know you can get out of it. You know that God has mercy on you anyway. But when it comes to things like addiction, obviously, you know, like 12 steps is there for a reason when it comes to alcoholics, because they know you need to set up patterns of behaviors, patterns of, of recognition that help you out. You know, you're, you have your sponsor, you have your meetings and everything like that. When it comes to habitual sins, we need similar things. Like you were saying, the regular rosary, regular Eucharist, regular confession. And as you pointed out, to the same person. 
so that they know what is going on and can give you furthering advice each time rather than going to a random stranger who just gives you absolution uh, because they don't know what's going on or they give you advice you've already heard before because they don't know what's going on. If, even better would be a spiritual director who has the, the ability to help you work through those issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, too, uh, an accountability, accountability partner. Accountability partner. And if you can find an accountability partner that's not struggling in the same sin right. or habit that you have because they they tend to be more uh, forgiving. <laughs> or or at least one who, who themselves has overcome it. Exactly. Already. Yeah. And, you know, exactly like a sponsor in like an AA program would be. You know, someone who's already been through it, who who's come out the other side and then can help you along that same journey. All right. Well, sorry, Greg. Yeah, we have to wrap no. up. We're running late. But anyways, you can follow Show's us over, on folks. Twitter, Facebook. You can listen to us on com, iTunes, or Google Play. And remember, iron sharpens iron. Become the man God created you to be. Signing off in here today. God bless you. Bye-bye.